This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, May 11th, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. Epistemic closure in the parlance of our times is the process by which a group becomes so exclusively trusting of their own movement's sources of information that their worldview becomes immune to contrary evidence. Julian Sanchez, research fellow at the Cato Institute, unwittingly started a debate on the subject and says it has some implications for our politics. Epistemic closure is a term I sort of accidentally coined in a blog post about a month and a half ago to refer to the way, it seems to me, the conservative media sphere has increasingly become uh, insulated from factual correction, from from reality, frankly. Um, I think it's sort of hard to argue that um, on the right now, there are a huge number of you know, just sort of patently false beliefs that are incredibly widely held. Uh, and in fact, research has been done showing that uh, self-identified conservatives and Republicans, um, the more informed they consider themselves about certain issues, the more likely they are to hold false beliefs. Um, you know, polls have shown that uh, majorities of self-identified conservatives either believe or are not sure whether uh, the, Barack Obama is not a United States citizen, uh, is a racist who hates white people, uh, had Acorn steal the election for him. Um, we saw uh, a range of, of bizarre claims during the health care debate about death panels. Um, and, you know, n- not to say that there aren't a lot of reasons to oppose uh, Obamacare, but that was a strange one. Um, and, and the question for me was, well, what's, what's going on here? Um, and it seems to me that what started to happen is that what started as a reaction to a, an accurate perception that mainstream reporters were overwhelmingly self-identified liberals or Democrats, that mainstream reporting had something of a, a slant to the left. And there was a great deal of excitement, I think, as, as uh, technology opened up uh, you know, this ability to have more and more, uh, you know, conservative venues, cable channels, AM radio, um, you know, blogs, news sites, and not only that, but to interconnect them um, into really a kind of self-sufficient media space. Um, and I think the hope initially was that this would serve as a corrective, as a counterbalance to uh, a mainstream public discourse that was uh, you know, perceived as biased to the left. And I think what's happened instead is that it has permitted uh, sort of consumers of that media to become increasingly immune to factual correction. Um, you know, there was an a, a incident a couple of years ago at CPAC where uh, Tucker Carlson got up and said, you know, conservatives need to start emulating the New York Times a little more because it's a liberal paper, but it's also a paper that, you know, basically cares about accuracy. And he was just roundly booed. A chorus of boos erupts. Um, and it was, I think, an interesting illustration that, that for the right now, the mainstream media isn't just seen as, you know, somewhat slanted, but is seen as pravda, is seen as essentially untrustworthy. If you look at surveys uh, about, you know, what media people trust, people in general don't, don't trust the media, um, but the interesting thing that you see is that basically conservatives, at least among the kind of major news video, uh, TV channels, um, you know, have huge amounts of trust for Fox News and basically none for everything else. And you know, the pattern is somewhat switched uh, on the left, but that still means that the sources the right now finds credible are this sort of small niche where I think you see a, a real reluctance to call out claims that are false if they're seen as being politically useful. You know, death panels, I think, being, being a case in point. Um, 
And you know, I, I, don't, I don't know how novel an observation any of this was, but the, the post I wrote ended up starting this rather sprawling conversation where folks at the National Review and the New Republic and the New York Times and the Atlantic all got involved. Um, and, and I think the only way, as unlikely a term as epistemic closure, which, which for anyone who is Googling at home has a completely unrelated meaning in, in philosophy jargon, um, is, is that I think a lot of folks on the right have been quietly worried about this for a while. Um, so, you know, folks like Ramesh Panuru at National Review and Ross Douthat at the New York Times all sort of came out kind of tentatively saying, you know, I think this is a real problem for us now. And, and while obviously confirmation bias and kind of um, you know, convenient selection of facts are just ubiquitous and universal human phenomena, that it's, it's more of a problem on the right now. Uh, and I think it's a function, again, of this burgeoning set of conservative media institutions that don't have the built-up uh, sort of set of institutional norms that work to correct bias at, uh, you know, the, the so-called MSM, uh, you know, that at least keep it kind of tethered, make the bias as accidental as opposed to sort of the mission. Um, uh, a, combined with an ideology that says, um, well, I saw this fact on, you know, Powerline, and I heard it on Fox, and I heard it on Mark Levin's show, uh, and, and, I, and I, you know, I read it in the Washington Times, so it seems like it's multiply confirmed. Um, and then I've got an ideology that says, well, the New York Times is just full of lies. So if they say this fact is wrong, I can choose to not trust them and trust uh, this other set of facts instead. And in fact, there's a feedback loop because uh, as you get this set of beliefs that is more and more detached from reality, um, when you see that the, uh, you know, the mainstream media are not in line with this, it's just more proof of their perfidy and bias. It becomes uh, closed in, you know, I chose the word closure because it means in a sense, it's a, it's a, it becomes a system of belief formation that is closed off from correction by, again, this combination of this institutional structure of interconnected sources and an ideological justification for rejecting uh, anything from the outside. Doesn't that attitude, uh, the belief, doesn't that marginalize itself? I mean, doesn't it seem like that problem should be able to correct itself in the sense that uh, you and I can sit here and talk about uh, birthers or people like that and uh, perhaps uh, roll our eyes or say, well, that's, that's, kind of, that's a ridiculous uh, belief to have. Doesn't that sort of marginalize itself? In the long run, you would hope so. Um, but I, th I think the, you know, part of the problem here is, well, there's a couple things, right? Part of the problem is that um, on the right, even among folks who know better, I think there's a reluctance to, I mean, this is Reagan's 11th commandment, first of all, is that you don't want to attack, you know, your friends. Um, Second is, is that, uh, you know, this stuff is popular. It's get, it gets people riled up. Uh, and I think there's a sense with, 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 you know, Obama riding high and growing government and, and, you know, absolutely legitimate concern about that. There's a reluctance to, uh, you know, shatter any illusions that may be serving to mobilize the, the base against that. One can kind of understand that. And I think there's also, you know, frankly, uh, uh, again, because of this interconnection, um, you know, the folks who know better, you know, maybe at, uh, you know, writing at, at National Review, let's say, um, you know, still want to go on Fox, still want to get invited on Rush Limbaugh's show. Um, so there's also, I think, a, a kind of professional um, incentive not to, not to call out misinformation. Um, in the long run, I think it's probably destructive. In the short run, um, you know, you, you, you can be very successful by, by uh, having, having people who are misled. I think the problem is that, um, it, you know, important though it is to uh, check 
the, the sort of expansion of government by the, the Democratic Party, um, uh, you know, ultimately, if, if they get good enough at opposing that they're in a position to govern again, um, you, you need people to be, uh, you know, connected enough to reality to govern effectively and not, you know, ranting like Michelle Bachman about, about uh, you know, replacing the dollar with the yen or something. But being connected to reality, I mean, uh, you talk about this being a bigger problem on the right. Clearly, it's a problem on the left from the very beginning of Barack Obama's presidency. He uh, came out and said, look, these debates about what gets an economy moving, well, they were settled a long time ago. Right. And of course, those debates were not settled a long time ago. The debate is actually just as vibrant today as it ever was, uh, among economists anyway. And it, it, this is a, you say it's more of a problem on the right than the left? I think it's more of a problem on the right than the left because the left does not have, the, the again, a kind of alternative reality structure in the same way. You know, I mean, obviously, there are, you know, there are magazines like The Nation, there are channels like MSNBC that are liberal, but I don't think they're seen in the same way as a substitute for, I mean, I don't, I don't think there are um, as many people on the left who think, well, I watched Rachel Maddow, um, and now I don't have to, um, I don't have to read the New York Times. And if the New York Times disagrees with Rachel Maddow, I assume the New York Times is lying. To the extent that this exists on the left and the right, what you're talking about is specifically this feedback loop yeah. uh, um, rather than something broader, more misconceptions right. that are widely shared. Right. Now, cer- yeah, certainly, certainly I think it's true that um, this is something there, – there no, there's, no, there's no intrinsic reason that the right should be more susceptible for the, to this phenomenon. Certainly if, if you, you know, went to college, you probably knew uh, you know, a, a little clique of uh, young Marxists who just rejected anything they read in the corporate media as lies if it – if it conflicted with something they'd read in an interview with Noam Chomsky or in the, you know, Socialist Worker or something, um, and you know, I think certainly probably in the '70s uh, it was it was a, a bigger problem on the left. I think right now, as a systemic issue, it's a bigger problem on the right. Everyone has false political beliefs. Everyone, you know, tries to choose beliefs that are that are congenial to their pre-existing ideology. Um, but I don't think what you see on the left is the same kind of uh, a cocooning. Um, not necessarily cocooning in the sense that you never read uh, views from the other side, but that uh, that everything is sort of filtered so that you only encounter um, not just with you know explicitly ideological arguments from the other side, but even just from sort of straight reporting um, is 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 seen as kind of alien and untrustworthy. Has this debate come full circle? Is it or is it is it done now? Or uh, well, I, I guess what has been what has been the resolution of this debate thus far with all these different groups jumping in and arguing about uh, the existence of this problem and what to do about it? I mean, in a sense, I think this is the kind of problem where the first step toward a solution is to acknowledge it. Um, I should say, incidentally, it, it, it's healthy, and I think you've actually also seen folks on the left, you know. St- talking a little bit about, well, to what extent are we also subject to this? And so that's healthy all around. Um, but I think what's come of discussion that I've seen and found heartening is that uh, I have a sense that there are, again, sort of voices on the right who perhaps have been quietly uneasy about this for a long time, um, who are now starting to sort of speak up and say, you know, maybe we should make a point of talking about it when um, our sort of popular voices, our entertainers, um, are saying things that are good for ratings but you know, out of touch with truth. Um, 
And, and so just having the conversation in a way is a cure. It sort of breaks the spell just to acknowledge that there might be a problem. It's like, you know, if, if, you, if you're on a, on a censored internet, I mean, just knowing, you know, in China, um, Google used to have uh, a little message that would come up at the bottom when you just search that would just say, these results have been filtered. And it's sort of enormously important just to become aware that you've got a filtered, uh, uh, a filtered sort of media stream. Um, and I don't know how it will pan out from here. I mean, the, the debate has been helpful. The question is, now going forward, do the folks who are a little bit uneasy about it start saying, you know, maybe it's, it's not as important to have a maximally riled up base. Maybe it's important to be making arguments and saying things that, um, that are sane and that are not in the long run going to make, you know, sort of moderates and other people who are not uh, already true believers, you know, worry about, about how far off the rails we've gone. Julian Sanchez is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.